afternoon, everybody. Welcome. We're back. Episode 2, Our City Podcast. We're going to dive right into it. We have a lot to discuss, and a lot is an understatement. The Mets, right now, 3-4 and four on the road trip. So far, they've won one game out of three in Atlanta, split the series with the Cubs. Now we'll head into Philly, take on the Phillies, and the Mets have, in my eyes, have to win this series. Considering that the Phillies have lost now seven in a row, they were swept by the Marlins yesterday. So if you're the Mets coming into Philly, you have to definitely at least win two out of four, want to win three out of four or even sweep, and keep your hopes alive in the playoff race. I don't know what has happened to Philadelphia. I have not been paying attention, but I was just looking at the standings the other day and saw their free fall collapse. Well, not really a free fall. I mean, they're still going to obviously be in it. They're still going to be active at the deadline. But, I mean, I had no clue that the Phillies were falling so quickly. It's one of those things, you know, you hate to see. So, first off, we're going to start in Atlanta. Excuse me, the Mets lost 2-3 or three to the Braves. They were only outscored 21-15. to 15. Now, is that great? No. But considering who the Braves had pitching and the state of the Mets bullpen going into that series, that's not bad. That's not too shabby. Although, Zach Wheeler and Steven Matthews gave up a combined 9 earned runs in 11 innings. Jacob deGrom almost went the distance before he gave up two solo shots in game two of the series, and the bullpen gave up a combined nine runs in six and two-thirds innings. From an offensive standpoint, the Mets couldn't ask for much more. Pete Alonso, his first four-hit game, Jeff McNeil saw his average rise from 327 to 336. He went five for 13 in the series, and then he was even better in the series against Chicago. Mets lost game one of that series as we transitioned into Chicago. Walker Lockett making the spot start for Syndergaard. Gave up a sixth spot in the third inning. That was all the Cubs needed. They won 7-4. to four. I was at work. I came home from work. The Mets were winning. Uh, I believe it was 3-1 to one when I got home. And in a matter of 10 minutes of being home, it was 6-3. to three. So it, uh, it got out of hand very, very fast. Um, the bullpen, you know, kept it kept the Mets within reach the rest of the way. The Mets just couldn't rally enough to get going. Game two, Jeff McNeil, Michael Conforto homered, get by you Darvish. McNeil finished the day with three RBIs. Game three, all Mets. Zach Wheeler pitched seven great innings. The offense was clicking all over the place. Todd Frazier, Wilson Ramos each add on a homer. McNeil has another three RBI game, but the story of game three of the series, Pete Alonzo, his 26th home run of his career and of the year ties Daryl Strawberry's Mets rookie record for home runs in the season. It's June. It's June 24th, the day I'm recording this, and Pete Alonso had taught at that point tied and would eventually break yesterday the Mets home run rookie record. And it was, if you look at what Pete Alonso has done 
It's just unreal. I mean, he's one of the very few reasons fans are still watching this team. I mean, he is absolutely raked since he's been up. He's been very good with the media. He's had his teammates back the whole time. I'm looking at the record right now. 49 Judge had, and then Judge hit his 50th back in 2017. Which his 49th tied Mark McGuire's 1987 record, and then Judge hit his 50th three innings later in his rookie year, which is 2017. So Alonzo's certainly on pace for that. Will he get it? I don't know. I mean, I would love to see him get it. I hope he doesn't slow down. I hope he's not one of those victims of the home run derby messing up your swing. And then you have or this argument that when you're in the home run derby, your swing gets messed up, and then you play like garbage the second half of the year. I don't think Pete Alonso is one of those players that's going to fall into that. But, you know, baseball is really a crazy game, so who knows what could happen. But obviously, Alonso, you can't help but love what he's done. And then in Game 4 of the series, Mets let it slip away. Pete Alonso gets the Mets on the board, sets that record-setting 27th homer. The next inning, Tomas Nito adds a solo homer of his own. Jacob deGrom gives the Mets insurance, runs with an RBI single. They were up 3-2, to two, and then in the 8th inning, Seth Lugo, the only guy that I can trust coming out of that bullpen right now, gives up a 3-run homer to Javi Baez. Cubs win 5-3. Mets split the series with Chicago. That is a heartbreaking way to end this series, to end that series. All They literally had it set up so perfectly, have um, Lugo finish off an inning, Go, they sent him out there for another one, and then that's when it fell apart. And they, if, assuming he didn't fall apart, he was going to uh, go to, D, Mickey Callaway, that is, was going to go to Diaz in the ninth. Now, Lugo... He really only had, I mean, of course he allowed base runners on, but really the only bad pitch of the inning was a three-run homer from Baez. But again, when it's a guy like Javi Baez, in those situations, he's going to beat you. That just happens. You know, but there was some drama after the game, which we'll get into in a little bit. But as I mentioned before, the Mets will head into Philly, who've lost seven straight and were just swept by the Marlins. And then the Mets will head home this weekend. I believe Atlanta is in town. Yes, it is Atlanta. And they'll be having the anniversary of the 1969 World Series championship team with the ceremony itself being on Saturday. So that'll be a great sight for Mets fans to see. I mean, it's been a not great start to the year. I mean, not so great. So, obviously, it gives them something to look forward to and something nice for them to see. Looking back on my list of everything I wanted to talk about, I want to make sure I get it all. All right. Let's talk about, before we talk about the post-game incident that happened after yesterday's game, I want to talk about someone who probably not a lot, maybe a lot of you have seen it. I don't know how many of you have seen it. But Jake Magnum, Mississippi State, 
Oh, Mississippi State was just eliminated from the College World Series. He was a draft pick by the Mets this year. And in his final, they did a press conference after the last game that Mississippi State had. And everybody's about to leave, and then Jake Magnum says, wait a second, I got something to say. He's talking about the need for more scholarships and a third paid assistant coach, which is the part that got me. So I'm going to have you guys take a listen to what Jake Mangum had to say. College baseball is evolving. It is. And, um, you know, for four years, I, I just want to let everyone know it, it, it's time for a third paid assistant head coach, uh, assistant coach in college baseball. There's a million people averaging watching this game. 30,000 people in that stadium. This is my second time to Omaha. Like, it, it, it's, it's time. Like, this game's evolving. It's growing. Every year it keeps getting bigger. And in, in, in this dugout, in these, uh, on that field, there was, uh, there was 27 players on each team. You start off with 35, you come with 27. Of those 35, there's 11.7 on each team on scholarship. Like, man, like, this, this game's getting way too big for that. These are the best four years of my life, and it, it, it's, it's, time, it's time to adapt with that. Every year we've had assistant coaches that have not been paid who spend hours on hours on hours doing all they can for our program, sleeping in the offices, scouting reports, dealing with camps. Come on, man. Go out there and watch that game. There's 30,000 people in that stadium. A million people watching it. Come on. It's, it's, time, it's time to change. It really is. So, if you... Hopefully you were able to hear that. Uh, Jake Mangum, draft pick by the Mets, talking about the need for a third paid assistant coach and also the need for more scholarships among athletes. Their scholarship aspect... I personally do not know much about in terms of how all that works. So I'm not going to say anything regarding that. I don't want to say anything that's not true. But regards to the, what he said about the coaching, I, what I, I tweeted about it actually. The Mets have a special player with him. If you have a guy like this that speaks that highly, is that openly, emotionally open and upfront about how he feels about his coaches... That is not something you see in a lot of players. He's the type of guy, what I took from that, watching that, is he's the type of guy you want to build your team around. He's going to come up. He's going to make an impact on the field and as well as off the field in the clubhouse. Wherever you put him, he's going to step up and he's going to say, this is what we got to do. And when I first watched that, I couldn't believe that someone was that open. I mean... Not met, how often or will you ever, excuse me, see a player say something like that? You know how often does that happen? Not only in major league, not uh, it's not even just major league baseball. In college baseball, let alone the major leagues, how often do you see that? That's incredible for him to step up and say something like that. Will the NCAA change? I personally don't know. I don't really know enough about the whole situation at hand. 
But hearing him say something like that just proved to me what kind of player and what kind of leader he could be. And I am stoked for the day that he gets up to the majors with the Mets because he will definitely be up there at some point. I would not doubt it. Now we're going to transition back a little bit. We were a little out of order. Yesterday, after the Mets game, a little incident going on at Wrigley before the Mets leave. So the Mets do their traditional post-game press conference. It's over. And then apparently there was a screaming match between Mickey Calloway, Jason Vargas, and Newsday writer uh, Tim Healy, who I personally am a big fan of Tim Healy's work. So when I saw his name in there, I was really confused as to what was going on. You know, I get home from work, I'm going through my phone, and I got a notification saying that uh, Mickey Calloway and Jason Vargas were involved in a swearing altercation with Tim Healy. So as far as I have read regarding the incident, Mickey Calloway... Um, or this is at least what I know. Tim Healy was leaving. Mickey Calloway was leaving. Uh, Tim Healy said, you know, see you tomorrow. And he meant like, actually, I'll see you tomorrow. Mickey Calloway, I guess, snapped and was saying, for, get this mother effer out of the locker room and all that stuff. And then apparently Jason Vargas was staring down Tim Healy, which by the way, of all the people that would have been involved in something like this, Jason Vargas is the last match player I would ever have expected to be a part of it. But he was apparently staring down Tim Healy for close to a minute, and then him and he and then Vargas and Healy got into a screaming match, and Vargas threatened to knock him out. So uh, that's just sad to hear something like that. It really is. I mean, it's really sad here. Is well, The way I take it, though, I don't see it as Mickey Calloway. That's his personality. But I see that as he is so beyond frustrated. Now, for all we know, I don't think this is true. Oh, sorry about that. I don't think this is true. For all we know, though, Tim Healy could have said something else, or something else could have gone on. I don't think something else did happen, but you never know. But for for what it looks like is Mickey Calloway is very frustrated, and he snapped, and at the wrong person at the wrong time. I mean, he had other reporters keeping Healy and Vargas separated. He had Mickey Calloway screaming, get this mother effer out of here. It just was not a good look. And then the Mets responded a few hours later, quote, The Mets sincerely regret the incident that took place with one of our beat writers following today's game in the clubhouse. We do not condone this type of behavior from any employee. The organization has reached out and apologized to this reporter and will have further discussions internally with all involved parties. If you're a Mets fan reading that, you're thinking, wow, how could this get any worse? 
for the Mets. And then you see that, and you're like, oh, well, rock bottom. So that transitions into what I wanted to talk about in terms of Mickey Calloway himself and his future with the team, the front office, the fans, specifically Mets Twitter. Hashtag Mets Twitter. We'll start with Mickey. Mickey Calloway, again, I saw that as a frustration. He's frustrated. Obviously, he is. But obviously, there's also no excuse for him saying that. There is no excuse at all. I have, ever since Mickey Calloway was hired by the Mets, I have had his back since day one. I've loved Mickey Calloway as the Mets manager. I still do. I still think he's the best guy for the job. And that could be that'll be an argument for maybe another day. Whether you think he is or isn't. But I've I've thought he has been since day one. He's been very great with the fans. He's been very great with the starting staff. I mean he's there's only so much he can do. As far as we're concerned, he's I mean, he's doing everything he can, and just the players are underperforming. But for him to lash out like that, considering the circumstances, is not a good luck on him. Not at all. Because, I mean, at this point, the uh, ownership gave their, gave their support towards Mickey, saying, he's our guy, he's our guy. And then they still have that support by him, and then Mickey does something like this. I mean, that's just doesn't sit that's not going to sit well with the fans and it's not going to sit well with of course the media because this was everywhere within maybe 10 minutes of it happening it was all over you know I still think Mickey will be here the rest of the year in addition to people staying I'm going to transition in the front office Mets fans you got to suck it up because Jeff Wilpon and Fred Wilpon are not selling the team. You can say on social media all you want, sell the team, sell the team. I'm not going to games until they sell the team, yada, yada, yada. They're not selling the team. I don't see them selling the team at all. And it's really hard to imagine that they actually ever will sell the team. So Mets fans... You're just going to have to suck it up and get used to the fact the Wilpons own the team. Now, I've. I really didn't start getting into the Mets, like really involved with the Mets until probably middle school. You know, but at that time, like in. until a few. like last year, maybe two years ago, I didn't really understand people's beef with the Wilpons. Because I never paid attention to that. I just watched the games, enjoyed the games, and hoped that the Mets would win a World Series one day. I never paid attention, you know, the the business aspect of it and all that. But from what I was gathering was that the Mets, or the Wilpons, are considered to be very cheap. Not willing to spend money on free agents and all this. What now? I am not supporting or against the Wilpons in any fashion, but Mets fans do have to realize to an extent. Yeah, so I'll play both sides here. Yes, if the Mets are going to win a World Series, 
the Wilpons need to be willing to spend money. The way this game has gone today, you are the, literally, you pay, you will win. Look at the Yankees lineup with Stanton and Judge, and now they traded recently for Edwin Encarnacion. They're willing to spend, especially on Stanton, they were willing to eat, take some on some of that contract. They were willing to spend money to get players to help them be successful. The Wilpons and the Mets have to be willing to do that. From a fan's aspect, you also have to understand, just to play both sides of it, fans have to understand you're not going to get everybody that you want. You're not going to get Bryce Harper, and the Mets certainly aren't going to be paying 330 or what was it, 330 330 for him. No shot. Craig Kimbrell, the Mets weren't willing to pay what he wanted. And fans are going to have to be okay with that. Not every player that's available, the Mets are going to want. Should the Mets have gotten a Kimbrell or a Keuchel? I think they should have. But were they willing to spend the money? No. So I didn't get too my hopes too high that the Mets were going to bring in either one of those two. Because I knew that with knowing the Mets' history in terms of investing in free agents... And knowing that the asking price of each of those two guys, and knowing the asking price of Machado and Harper, that the Mets were not going to be willing to spend that. And I was okay with that, because I liked who the Mets had. I liked Todd Frazier at third. When they traded for J.D. Davis, I loved that move. I still do love that move. J.D. Davis one of my favorite guys on this Mets roster. I liked an outfield of the idea of McNeil in the outfield and having an outfield of until Nimmo got hurt, McNeil, Nimmo, Conforto. You know, I like that rotation still of DeGrom, Thor, Wheeler, Matson, Vargas. That bullpen, you traded for Edwin freaking Diaz, who, let, who was the greatest closer last year, in my opinion, in baseball. He was the best. You had him and Familia at the back end, and you knew what Familia brought to the table. I was okay with the Mets not going after those guys. Do I wish... I wish the Mets had Machado at third, Harper on left, Keuchel on the mound, and then Kimbrell looming in the bullpen. But I knew it also wasn't realistic for the Mets to get any of those guys. And that was okay. And that's what Mets fans, and that's a good transition into Mets fans. Mets fans have to be okay with that. You know, they're not going to win every night. They're not going to go 162-0. They're not going to win the World Series every year. Mets fans have to be okay with that. And I don't want to hear the argument of, you know, it's New York. That's what it's like playing in New York. Who cares where they're playing in? I have never seen a more interesting, for lack of a better word, fan base than New York Mets fans. And I think it's because they care so much about this team. I really do. They care so much about this team, but they show it. They're the most passionate fans that I've ever seen, but they show it in both good and very bad ways. You know, specifically hashtag Mets Twitter, calling for Wilpon Salatine, Mickey to be fired. They want to set Jerry's Familia on fire pretty much, set him off into the sunset. You know, it's crazy. I mean, instead of talking bad about how ownership is, or your personal opinions on if Mickey and Brody should be fired or not, 
By the way, Brody Van Wagen is not going anywhere either. I mean, instead of doing all that, you should be supporting this team. I mean, Pete Alonso will be a great example. I'll bring him up in a second. The players see what fans say on social media. You know, obviously, I mean, I complain about the Mets just as much as the next guy. I'm not going to sit here and act like I don't. <clears throat> but at the same time, the players see that stuff. I mean, Pete Alonso called out KFC Barstool the other day saying, like, the real Mets fan doesn't talk like that and yada, yada, yada. If you want to go back and see Pete's response, you can check that out on Twitter. But the Mets, the Mets team knows that Mets fans are starved for a World, World Series title. They want this team to get back on track so bad, and they know it. But if I were a player in that clubhouse and I saw some... This isn't all of Mets Twitter. I use Mets Twitter because it's the best example. It's not everybody. But you see the select few on Mets Twitter. If you see that as a player, you feel like, who are you playing for? This game's about the fans. You come there every day, and you play for the fans. And when you don't have the fans by your side and backing you, what are you, what, what are you supposed to do with that? I mean, really, what are you supposed to do with that as a player? If I'm Pete Alonzo, and I'm scrolling through social media, and I see all these people bad-mouthing the team and saying how much the season's over, even though it's only June, and giving up on the team, and yada, 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 this, that, and the other thing, I'd, I'd be pretty irked, upset, mad, whatever you want to call it. I would not like seeing that. As if I were a professional baseball player, I want to see the fans on my side through the good times and the bad. And there are a majority of fans that are like that with this team. But then there's a select few that aren't, or the select group, I should say, that aren't like that. I mean, you got people saying they're not going to games or they're not watching until they have a winning record or until they sell the team. Fine. Don't watch them. I mean, the Mets are still going to make money. They're still going to go out there and play every day. Not boycotting them. Like, there's, I saw on Twitter that there's a boycott in August. There's going to be a boycott at City Field. A group of Mets fans are going to be boycotting, holding up signs saying, sell the team, sell the team. Like, come on. Really? No matter what your feelings are on the Wilpons, whether you love them or hate them, I personally like to stay in the middle because I've all, I was taught that a good debater, quote-unquote debater, understands both sides of an argument. And that's with anything, whether it's politics, sports, philosophy, you name it. Whether you love or hate the Wilpons, whether you love or hate Mickey Calloway and Brody Van Wagenen, boycotting outside of the stadium? Are you really a fan? What? How many? How often in the news do you see fans boycotting their team? It is unreal. I can't believe that people want to boycott this team. You say how much you love this team. You say how much this team means to you, but you're going to go and boycott 
the team. You're not going to watch them. You're not going to support them because you don't approve of who's in charge. That, to me, I think that's sad. I really do. I mean, I will... If the Mets are 1 and 161, if they only won one game the whole year, I'm still going to watch them every night. I'm still going to cheer for them. I'm still going to give them support. I'm not going to stand out there and boycott them. I'm not going to refuse to give my money to them. I mean, this team is more than a team in my eyes. I see them as more of a team, more than a team to me. And when I see fans saying they're going to boycott the team, they hate watching the team, then why are you a fan? Part of being a fan of any sports team, not just the Mets, is you have to know that there's going to be years your team is garbage. There's going to be years your team is on top of the world, and then there's going to be years your team is flat-out garbage. Look at the Mar- Look at the Baltimore Orioles. The Baltimore Orioles have maybe one or two guys on that roster that would be on the major league roster for any of the other 29 teams. They are 22 and 56. They sit almost 28 games out of first place. They're 1 and 9 in their last 10. Do you see fans boycotting the the Orioles? No. You see Orioles fans, you, their attendance, yet yeah, granted, it's down. Because nobody wants to watch it. But you know what? There are still fans there and they know that it's going to be a few years before they win. But they know that this is their team. This is who they root for. They understand that they're going to be garbage for a few years and then they'll be good and then they'll be garbage again then they'll be good that's how every team is and the Mets are no different <laughs> remember how Mets fans were in 2015 and 2016 2015 Mets fans finally thought that was it they had that they had it and then 2017 was a slide off the rails and 2018 was a complete crap show and now you have this year I'm not giving up on this year. It is June 24th. The Mets still have another week and a half or so until the All-Star break. They have all of July, all of August, all of September to make up ground. I still think they could. That's the beauty of baseball is anything can happen. And the the things that you never thought would happen always happen in my eyes the Mets are still a playoff contender until the standing show they are it is mathematically impossible for them to win anything and until I see the standing show the E for games back showing they've been eliminated from playoff contention they are still in it I really do believe that they're only four games under They have four games against the Phillies, who have been struggling. Then they have the Braves coming in, who they I thought fared well. They fared well against the Braves. I mean, 
Phillies are in second place, six and a half games out. The Mets are in fourth place, nine games out. The Mets could very easily be in second place at the All-Star break in the division. They could very easily be in second place. But it all comes back, of course it's on the players to perform. It's on the front office to do their job and bring in players that, in which I thought they did. They brought in Wilson Ramos. They brought in Luis Alvalon and Justin Wilson, who those two haven't exactly worked out just yet. Brought in Robbie Cano, who hasn't panned out yet. They brought in Edwin Diaz. They brought in J.D. Davis. The Mets have made good moves. They brought up Pete Alonso. They found a way to keep Dom Smith up. They brought back Carlos Gomez. I mean, it's on all parties. The players have to do their job. The front office has to do their job. Mickey Calloway's got to do his job. The fans have to do their job. Fans need to show their support behind this team. And the Mets also need to show that they're in it, for real. And from what I've seen in post-game interviews, yeah, they're frustrated right now, but they still think they're, they still feel like they're in it. The players, especially Pete. Pete will be a captain of this team within the next five years. Mark it down. He still sees them in it. He knows it's frustrating. He knows fans and everyone's fr- He knows everyone's frustrated. But that's not going to make him stop going out there every day and giving everything he has for this team. That's the kind of player you want on your roster. And before, you know, I eat up hours on I could go on and on for hours. We're going to transition there. Uh, obviously, three and four on the road trip for the Mets, heading into Philly for four. We're going to get into a little MLB wrap-up to uh, finish up this episode, episode two of the Our City Podcast. Uh, let's start with, I got to check on my list here, things I want to talk about. All right, there are two things I want to discuss. We'll start with one, and that is the All-Star Game. All-Star Game primary or preliminary rounds have finished up. We have the finalists in each position. Top three in each position, I believe it is. Oh, excuse me. I That's 20. That's 2018. I want the 2019. There we go. Uh, the primary votings for the All-Star Game are out. Right now, the predictions, I guess, in each league. American League, catcher Gary Sanchez, first base Carlos Santana, second base Jose Altuve, shortstop Jorge Polanco, third base Alex Bregman, outfield of Mike Trout, George Springer, and Michael Brantley, and then J.D. Martinez as the DH. In the NL, the projected roster is... Wilson Contreras catching, Freddie Freeman, Ozzy Albies, Javi Baez, and Nolan Arenado around the infield in an outfield of Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich, and Ronald Acuna Jr. So they had, they released it the other day, the top three at each position. And there were a couple that I was surprised with. I really was. I'm just pulling up the results now. 
two guys that I, two Mets that I noticed aren't uh, that didn't make the finals were Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil. With Pete, the finalists for first base were Josh Bell, who I think does deserve the most to be starting. If you look at the year he's had, Anthony Rizzo and Freddie Freeman. Pete Alonso wasn't a finalist, and I was like, okay, no big deal. He's still gonna go. Pete Alonso will be an All Star this year. Every, I mean, MLB's got that rule; they have to have at least one representative from every team. I like that. I think it's a great rule. I think that's how it should be in every sport. I don't know if it is or not. Every team needs to have a representative. And Pete Alonso will definitely be there representing the Mets. I think Jacob deGrom also deserves some consideration to be there again. And I also think Jeff McNeil deserves some consideration. The finalists for the outfield are the three I just mentioned, Bellinger, Yelich, and Acuna. Also... Albert Almora, Jason Hayward, Nick Markakis, Jack Peterson, Kyle Schwarber, Charlie Blackman are the finalists for the NL outfield. Albert Almora Jr., with all due respect to him, he is a great baseball player. He's a good player. I do not think he's worthy of being at the All-Star Game over Jeff McNeil, or a finalist, I should say. Alvaro Mora this year has a .7 WAR, and in 212 at bats, he's hitting .245 with seven homers, 22 RBIs. <clears throat> Jeff McNeil has a WAR of 2.3 this year, and in 237 at bats, he's hitting .342 with five homers and 27 RBIs. You're telling me a guy that's hitting .342 doesn't? Deserve to be at least a finalist for the All-Star Game. He finished 6th in the Rookie of the Year voting last year, and he was only up for 63 games. And he hit 329 in those games. I mean, if Jeff McNeil doesn't get... Um... An all-star vote. That is the biggest snub I have ever seen. Jeff McNeil definitely should be an all-star. He, I, you can make the argument if he should be starting or not. That's a different argument. But he definitely deserves to be one of those finalists. I think the Mets all-stars will be Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil. I do think... Uh, Jeff McNeil will get in. I think Jacob DeGrom could have a great chance. I don't know if he will or not. You know, and until yesterday, you really could make the argument, too, for Seth Lugo. You really could. But, obviously, that's time will tell who will be representing the Mets at the Midsummer Classic. The other thing I wanted to talk about, by the way, get out there and vote, you know, you can't complain about the players who are uh, picked if you don't vote. You know, I already voted. I voted once in the primaries. I voted once in the finalist voting. You got to get out there and vote. That's all there is to it. Get out there. Vote for your Josh Bells. Vote for your Acunas. Vote for your Mike Trouts. Whoever you want, get out there and make sure they're representing your team at the All-Star Game. 
Which brings me to the last thing I want to talk about in this episode before we call it quits. And that is two big announcements from the Chicago White Sox and the Washington Nationals. And that is the Nationals said they plan on doing this over the All-Star break. The White Sox said they will be doing it next season. And that is extending the netting the protective netting all the way to the foul poles. Which I do not like one bit at all. I was able, when teams started putting up the netting behind the dugouts, I was able to adjust to it. I was like, okay, whatever, I'll just move down a little bit or sit up top or whatever. When I and So where I live, I live near a minor league team. So I go to their game, a triple A team. So I go to their games all the time, right? I go to their games all the time, and I'll like adjust to where I'm sitting so I don't have to look through the netting. But the it's just ugh. extending the netting to the foul poles I think is a little much. I really do. I understand fan safety is the number one priority, and I respect that. I that is a that is how it should be. Fan safety should be your top priority. I also feel, though, it shouldn't disrupt, for lack of a better word, your experience at the ballpark. And I also understand the argument. Not everybody's an athlete. You know, if a ball hits a 5-year-old kid or a, a 70-year-old grandma, I mean, I understand that argument. Not everybody's very athletic and able to stop that. But at the same time, when people are getting hit, if you get hit with a ball, what are you doing? You know, for all we know, the girl that Albert Armora hit the foul ball, that hit that girl, thank God she's okay. But for all we know, her back was turned. Maybe she was playing on her tablet, a tablet or a smart device of some sort. Maybe her parents were sitting next to her and were able to, and would have been able to get up in front of it in time and take a hit, but maybe they were distracted by something. I mean, that's just I'm just playing devil's advocate. Because I mean, obviously, you don't want you hate seeing I hate seeing stuff like that. It makes me queasy seeing stuff like that. I get queasy when pitchers get drilled in the head by comebackers, let alone a fan getting hit. But at the same time, we have to remember, I'm not saying she was doing anything wrong. Maybe she was watching and she just couldn't get out of the way in time. But what are these what are these people doing when they get hit? I mean, if you look at, let's look at City Field. You know, I've been to City Field for th- three games now. Just because of I live almost eight hours away from City Field. Don't get out there a lot. I've been to three games. All at City Field. You look... At the way that st- any stadium is, let's specifically City Field. If you're sitting in the left field corner, in front of that foul pole, if a ball is foul, if Pete Alonso hits a foul ball that's coming towards you, you have at least probably four or five seconds to realize a ball is coming towards you and to prepare yourself to catch it, cover and protect someone, or get out of the way. And by the time that ball gets to you, it's going to be half the speed 
of what it was off the bat. You know? I mean, at that point, you're if you're just sitting there all the way back there, you're almost 400 feet away. I mean, what are you doing? Are you watching the ball get close to your face and saying, come hit me, hit me, hit me, hit me, and then hit you in the face, and then you're like, well, duh. I mean, come on. Again, I understand fan safety is important, but I hate the argument. I hate, hate, hate the argument that you don't notice it. Maybe it's me being super anal, but I've talked to both my brothers who are baseball fans about it. I've talked to both my parents about it. I've talked to my grandparents about it. They notice it. You know, my mom is not the biggest baseball fan in the world. You know, she'll come and watch a game and, you know, she won't hate it. But she's not the biggest baseball fan in the world. But even she thinks that sitting at a baseball game looking through a net is annoying. You know, looking if I'm staring through a net for three hours or I have the option to sit up a little higher and not have to look through the net, I'm going to sit up higher and not look through the net. I mean, it is annoying looking through it. You know, and then you got another argument saying, like, God forbid fan safety interferes with your ability to get a ball or get an autograph. It's not just about that. When you're having interactions with the players... It's not just about getting a toss-up from them. It's not about just getting an autograph from them. Yeah, those things are cool, but at the same time, you're interacting with guys you look up to. You get to have be right next to, ability to have a conversation with maybe your hero or guys you look up to. You get to see them. You get to meet them. And yeah, it is cool getting a toss-up from them. Or, you know, the Angels fans playing catch with Mike Trout. Or getting uh, the thousands of people that are mounted behind the Angels dugout trying to get his autograph. I mean, you're taken away from the fan experience at the game. When you put up that netting, you're basically saying, like, you can't interact with the players. Because what player is going to want to go, you know, is going to try and sign stuff or try and give something to it? Maybe, uh, like, the other day, Albert Pujols gave his jersey to a fan. Like, what player's going to do something like that when they got a giant net in the way? They're not going to be able to. The only way I see that working out is if they design it so that way they can have it dropped pre-game and post-game, and then during the game they bring it up. But I I think, I mean, I did not like when they made it the netting behind the dugouts, and I've grown to adjust to that. But I think extending it to the foul poles is a little much. I really do. I mean, for how rare people get hit, I don't think it's worth it. I really don't. I mean, I'm probably not going to get a lot of positive remarks regarding my thoughts of this, but you know what? I don't. I really don't care. I mean, I think it ruins the fan experience, and I think it's unnecessary. Yes, is fan safety a top priority? Yes, as it should be. But you also have to know that if you're sitting in those seats where you're sitting, you paid a lot of money for those seats, guaranteed. Pay attention. Get off your phone. You know, when I'm at a baseball game, I'm on my phone in between innings. 
And usually, I in between innings, I'm looking up, you know, player stats or, you know, if I'm at a minor league game, I'm, at, I'm wondering like, hey, I've seen this guy before. Where did he play before here? Stuff like that. I mean, I'm not saying all these people that are getting hit are on technology or on any devices when they get hit. But if you're, and I understand also not everybody's athletic enough to get out of the way or has fast enough reflexes to get out of the way of a ball that's coming at you at almost 100 miles an hour. But at the same time, you know, the people around you, other people have to be paying attention. And again, this is another thing I could go into hours on end with, but I'm not going to. Um, to wrap up this episode, talked about Mickey Calloway, the front office, the fans. I just saw a poll on Twitter. Should Mickey Calloway be fired uh, regarding the incident that happened? And 78% said yes, 22% said no, and there's almost 1,500 votes on it. So, obviously, uh, Mets fans aren't taken too kindly to this whole scenario. But, you know what? I mean, whatever happens, happens, I guess. I mean, there's nothing really we can do about it. You know, other than see how it plays out. You know, obviously, I hope Mickey doesn't get fired, but obviously the Mets are going to have to do something to him. They have to, yeah, I mean, that can't happen. Whether you love him or hate him, that can't happen. So we talked about him. We talked about the front office, talked about the fan base, all-star game voting, Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil, hopefully, and maybe Jacob DeGrom will be there representing the Mets. Also talked about Jake Mangum, what a pick he was from the Mets, for the Mets. And we also talked about some Mang. And that'll wrap it up for episode two of the Our City Podcast. Next week, uh, we'll take us pretty close to the All-Star break. We should, I think, we'll have the rosters by then. I'll have to double-check on that. And we'll talk about those biggest snubs and all that good stuff. Uh, make sure you're um, liking, commenting, subscribing, all that good stuff. Make sure you're checking out the links for our social media accounts in the description below. And hopefully the Mets... Take at least two, hopefully three, or better yet, sweep the Phillies. Take advantage of a, a weak or a struggling team. you got to take advantage of stuff like that. So hopefully the Mets do. We'll see you next week for episode three of the Our City Podcast. And hope thank you guys for listening and hope you enjoyed. Let's go Mets.